0: On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of 19-year-old Renisha McBride, who was murdered on November 2nd, 2013, in a Detroit, Michigan neighborhood. The night Renisha was murdered, she had gotten into a car accident. After the accident, Renisha was confused and disoriented and looking for help. But when she knocked on the door of one of the homes in the neighborhood, the homeowner answered the door with a loaded gun. Instead of helping Renisha, The man with the gun shot her in the head through the screen door. He claimed he feared he was being robbed, but the evidence told a different story. This is Renisha's story. Welcome to the first episode of 2022. I hope that you guys had a very safe and a very happy new year. I want to start this year with the story of Renisha McBride. Now, many of you, I'm sure, remember Renisha's story and the aftermath of her murder, And although her murder is in jail, the story about what happened to Renisha is one that needs to be told over and over again. Renisha's murder brought up conversations about how Black people are perceived in this country and the often automatic assumptions that Black people are criminals. When Renisha showed up at the door of that home that night, she had no ill intentions. She just needed help. And instead of him seeing someone's daughter or someone's sister, his first assumption was to think that this Black woman was there to rob him. But even after he did murder Renisha, the police didn't initially charge him. Again, a Black person was murdered. Police knew who murdered them, but didn't charge the murderer with murder. Unfortunately, it wouldn't be the last time it would happen either. Renisha McBride was born April 11, 1994. She was raised by her parents and had two siblings, a younger sister and an older sister, who she grew up very close to. Ranisha's family described her as a very outgoing young woman who loved to sing and crack jokes. She loved shopping and she loved cars. But Ranisha was also a very sweet young woman who her friends said would always be there, you know, to give you a kind word or to cheer you up and make you smile. In high school, Ranisha was a cheerleader. Her family said that she really was just a typical teenager. Ranisha's cousin said that she had always wanted to be a police officer and talked about it a lot. Growing up, Renisha had lost family members to violence, and because of that, she wanted to do something to help. Renisha graduated from high school in 2012 and began working at a local Ford factory. She stayed at home living with her mom and grandmom in Detroit. Renisha was young and she was full of life. She had just graduated from high school and just gotten her first real job. Life really seemed to be going well for Renisha. Now, there isn't much information about the weeks leading up to Renisha's death. Most of the information out there about Renisha focused solely on the murder itself. And so details about Renisha and the time before her murder are limited. But we do know that on November 1st, 2013, Renisha and a friend of hers, Amber, decided that they wanted to hang out at Renisha's house. The girls decided that they wanted to have a little fun, and so they decided to go buy a bottle of vodka. Now, Renisha isn't 21 yet, so it's not clear if her friend was, and if not, we don't know how they got the bottle or who got the bottle for them. But I'm pretty sure anyone who started drinking before 21 knows that it's really not that hard to find someone to buy you a bottle, especially at 19. Now, according to Renisha's friend, in order to make the drinking a little bit more exciting, they decided that they wanted to play a drinking game where the loser would have to take shots of vodka Now, I have never, ever been a fan of drinking games because it is the surest way to not make it through the night. Drinking until I passed out really has never really been my thing. But when you're young, drinking games with your friends are pretty common. Amber said that that night, you know, as the night went on, her and Renisha were playing the drinking game and taking shots of vodka. But Amber said that Renisha kept losing, which meant that she had to take more shots. Now, Renisha was not happy that she kept losing, and Amber said that Renisha was kind of being a sore loser about the game. Eventually, Amber had had enough, and so she decided that she was going to leave Renisha's house. According to Amber, there wasn't really much to do at Renisha's house besides watch television, and so when she was done playing, she decided that she was going to leave. Now, I think that Renisha had a little attitude with Amber because she really wanted to keep playing, but Amber was ready to leave. When Renisha's mom came home later on that evening, she said that she'd asked Renisha about the chores that she had not completed. Now, Renisha at the time was 19 and being a very typical teenager at that point. She's really at that in-between age where technically she is an adult, but she's still very young. And we also know that when you're living at home with your parents, that means that there are still rules that must be followed. And in Renisha's house, her mom expected her to complete her chores. That night, however, Renisha was not happy that her mom was upset about the chores and the two ended up getting into an argument. Now, Renisha's mom said that, you know, she knows how teenagers can be, especially when they're being told to do something they don't want to do or being asked to do something, you know, that they don't want to listen to. She also knew that Renisha's first instinct would probably be to leave the house to blow off some steam, but she told Renisha to stay in the house. But Ranisha didn't listen, and she decided that she was going to go for a drive anyway. Now, the events of what happened next are still a mystery in many ways. A few miles from where Ranisha lived, witnesses recalled seeing a car driving rather fast through the streets. Not long after the car was seen speeding, neighbors heard a crash. The car had hit another car that was parked on the street. The car, of course, we now know was being driven by Ranisha. The car that Renisha hit was parked in front of the owner's home. Now, when the woman heard the crash, she came outside and saw Renisha getting out of the car, holding her head. She approached Renisha and asked her if she was okay, and Renisha just simply told her that she wanted to go home. The woman tried to tell Renisha that she was hurt and that she really needed to wait for paramedics to come to make sure she was okay. I mean, head injuries are nothing to play with, and depending on how hard she hit her head, she could very well have had a concussion. Now, the woman said that it seemed like Renisha was just really scared and just wanted to go home. And so Renisha started to walk away from the crash. At 12.57 a.m., the first call about the accident came into 911. The caller said that there had been a car speeding through the neighborhood and that the car hit a parked car on the street. The caller then said that the driver had left the scene on foot. And according to reports, because no injuries were reported, the police classified it as a low priority call. Then about 26 minutes later, at 1.23 a.m., a second call was made by a different witness, also reporting the accident. Now, this witness told dispatchers that it appeared as if the driver was possibly intoxicated. The dispatcher, however, told the caller that perhaps the driver appeared that way because of the injuries that they may have sustained in the accident. Now, considering what the caller had said, the dispatcher requested paramedics to the scene, but for whatever reason, there was none available at the time. Now, at this point, Renisha had wandered off, and she apparently had her phone, but it was dead, and so no calls were being made to or from her phone after the accident. Finally, at about 1.40 a.m., a police unit was dispatched to the scene, but when officers arrived, there was no one there, according to reports. The woman whose car had been hit spoke to police and told them about the young woman that was driving and told them that she had walked off. She told them that she couldn't have gotten far on foot and that if they drove around the block, that they might be able to find her. But it's not clear whether police ever did conduct that search. However, they did stay on the scene for about an hour, processing the scene, waiting for the tow truck. And eventually an ambulance did show up, but Renisha never came back to the car. Now, when police found the car, it was registered to Renisha's father, but there is no information about whether police tried to locate the driver of the car or notify the owner of the car. Even though no one had been injured, as far as they knew, it was still a hit-and-run accident, and I would think that they would want to notify the owner of the car. But by the time the police left the scene, nearly two hours had gone by since the initial accident, and Renisha had been gone that entire time with no phone. The car was towed from the scene, and so even if Renisha had came back after, the car would not have been there. Now, no one had seen Renisha in the hours after the accident. Now, it was 1 a.m. when the accident occurred, and so at that time of night, there wouldn't be a lot of people out and about. The neighborhood that Renisha had crashed a car in was Dearborn Heights, and Dearborn is a suburb of Detroit. It's considered a bedroom community, and so suburbs like Dearborn are usually quiet at that time of night. And... It makes perfect sense that no one would have seen Renisha. But where Renisha was in the hours after the crash, to this day, remains the biggest mystery of this case. For at least four hours, Renisha was somewhere in Dearborn Heights and she was wandering around with no phone. At that point, she possibly had a head injury or concussion and didn't know where she was. Nearly four hours after Renisha crashed her car, at 4.30 a.m., a call came into 911. 9-1-1. <laughs> you want an emergency? Uh, yes, I just shot somebody on my front porch with a shotgun banging on my door. What's your address? My name, uh, address. Okay, what city are you in? Thank you. What city are you in? Before the 911 operator could ask any more questions, the caller had hung up, but you can hear it that the caller states that he just shot someone that was banging on his front door. He doesn't say that I just shot someone who was breaking into my house, which is significant considering his defense later. But after the initial 911 call, police dispatch contacts officers to let them know about the call they just received. She tells them that the caller hung up and that they were trying to get him back on the phone. And then a few seconds later, they are able to get the man back on the phone and dispatch lets the officers know. Five minutes after dispatch spoke to the officers on patrol, they arrived at the home where the call had come from. And when police approached the home, they found 19-year-old Ranisha dead with a gunshot wound to the face. Four hours after she crashed her car, Renisha McBride was dead. But the reason why she was shot who shot her, and how the local police handled the murder would set off a firestorm. Gaps in the diet shouldn't be ignored. Over 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet, and 95% are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 plus. It is formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. But Ritual didn't just stop there. They invested in a gold-standard, university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. The results? Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. The clinical study was published in a leading scientific journal called Frontiers in Nutrition. A published clinical study is a big deal and a serious commitment for a first-of-its-kind standard in the industry. Ritual is committed to third-party testing from USP and the non-GMO project traceable and vegan-friendly ingredients, and always clear communication. No shady stuff. Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash girlgone and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash girlgone. On November 2nd, 2013, Renisha McBride, blowing off some steam after a minor argument with her mother about chores, crashed her dad's 2004 Ford Taurus into a parked car in a suburb of Detroit called Dearborn Heights. Four hours after the crash, Renisha lay dead on the porch of a local home. The man who shot Renisha was a white man named Theodore Wafer, who at the time was 54 years old and owned the home in Dearborn. Wafer told police that he had heard a consistent banging and that he didn't know what it was. He said that he looked through the windows and that he said the banging sounded like it was coming from somewhere else. And so he cracked open his door to see who was outside. He said that's when the gun went off. He told officers that he didn't even realize that there was a live round in the gun. He then says, quote, I don't get it. Who was knocking on your door at 4.30 a.m.? Bang, bang, bang. Somebody wants in. Now, at the time, police did not immediately know that Renisha was associated with the accident that had occurred almost four hours earlier. And so they had no idea why this young Black woman had shown up at the door of this home at 4.30 in the morning. But they had nothing to indicate that Renisha was up to no good. Even Wafer, in the immediate aftermath of the shooting, says that she was banging on the door. I mean, he questions her intentions, but claims that it was an accidental shooting and that he never mentions that he was defending himself against a potential intruder. Police, however, do not arrest Wafer. Despite the fact that he is the killer and the only witness, they only had his side of the story. He could have been lying about a multitude of things, including his relationship with the victim. Now, we know, of course, that there was no connection between him and Renisha, but the police did not immediately know that. And so, in a scene that is all too familiar, Wafer was not arrested after Renisha was murdered. Now, as soon as news made it to Renisha's family of her brutal murder, her family was devastated. How could this happen to Renisha? But the details of how she was murdered would make what happened to her so much worse. During the course of the initial investigation, police were able to determine that Renisha had in fact been the young woman who was driving the car that had crashed hours before the shooting. And once Renisha's family was told about the course of events that night, they realized that Renisha had most likely ended up on Wafer's porch that morning because she was looking for help. And so the fact that Wafer murdered her instead made this tragic event even more tragic. Renisha was just looking for help. She just wanted to go home. The family also knew that the person responsible for shooting Renisha was not arrested. At the beginning of the investigation, both the media and the police were hiding the identity of Wafer. They wouldn't comment on his race either, which pretty much confirmed for everyone that he was white, and that the police feared that releasing his identity would ignite racial tensions. Just a year and a half before, Trayvon Martin was murdered by George Zimmerman, and the police had not arrested him immediately either. Protests demanding that he be tried were happening all over the country, and the hoodie became the symbol of the movement. Everyone was wearing hoodies to stand in solidarity, from NBA players to members of Congress. And it was the mounting public pressure and collective outrage that finally caused George Zimmerman to be charged. Quickly, the comparisons in the two cases began, and again, protesters were gathering to demand charges. And although Dearborn had become more diverse over the years, the area had a racist history and the area is 82% white compared to the city of Detroit, which is 82% black. It didn't take the public long to put two and two together. People believed that the shooter had not been arrested because he was white. They didn't need the media to tell them that. Within days of Renisha's murder, protests began to erupt all over, not only in Detroit, but other parts of the country as well. Activists were demanding the arrest and prosecution of Renisha's murder. Everyone wanted to know how the killer of an unarmed Black woman wasn't being arrested. Even if we were going with his initial defense that the shooting was purely accidental, he still should have been arrested. But as the heat began to come down, Wafer changed his story. He was no longer saying that Renisha's shooting was accidental. He was now claiming self-defense. His story was now that he believed Renisha was trying to break into his home. And Michigan has a very similar law to the stand-your-ground law in Florida. It allows for you to use deadly force if you have reasonable fear that you are in danger. And so I'm sure what happened was once Wafer lawyered up, his attorney advised him to go that route and claim self-defense. It really felt like deja vu. I mean, here we go again in America where a young, unarmed Black person was murdered by a non-Black person who was now claiming self-defense. People with guns are allowed to claim that they were so afraid of an unarmed black teenager that they had no other recourse but to shoot them dead. It makes no sense, but in this country, black children in particular are overwhelmingly perceived as aggressive. From the time they enter school, they're disciplined more, suspended more, and expelled at higher rates than their peers for the same offenses. Black and brown teenagers are criminalized by the system and society for things that teenagers across all races do, drink, smoke weed, party, even fight. When black and brown teenagers engage in these activities, they are deviants and thugs. They are never given the benefit of being young and being dumb. Had Renisha been a 19-year-old white woman shot in the face by a black man in a predominantly black neighborhood, would her killer have gotten the same treatment? On November 15, 2013, two weeks after Renisha was shot to death, the Wayne County prosecutor finally announced charges against Theodore Wafer in the murder of Renisha McBride. Wafer was charged with second-degree murder, and his bail was set at $250,000. Now, the charges came as a relief to Renisha's grieving family. I mean, after two long weeks, Renisha's murder was finally being charged. But they knew that the rest was only the beginning. They needed him to be found guilty for justice to be served. Wafer's defense team, however, was going to put Vernicia on trial and make her death her fault. When the toxicology report was released, the finding that Vernicia had been drinking was used as part of the justification for her shooting. The defense, with the help of many media outlets, began to vilify Vernicia for making a mistake that night. They tried to paint her as a drunk, aggressive person who showed up on Wafer's porch, banging on his door, causing him to fear for his life. Renisha, the victim, was being blamed for her own death. But Renisha did nothing that night that would justify a shotgun to the face. Wafer didn't ask any questions. He didn't try to figure out why this woman was on his porch. The autopsy revealed her clothing was wet because it had been drizzling that night and the soles on one of her shoes were torn. Perhaps if Wafer had seen past the color of Renisha's skin that night, he would have seen a woman in obvious distress and in need of help. Wafer's trial began June 2014. Now, prosecutors stayed away from race and did not present that as a factor in this murder. Prosecutors believed that they had a strong enough case against Wafer without race playing a factor. And the defense tried to introduce evidence that suggested Renisha was a troubled teen and tried to introduce evidence from her social media and about some trouble that Renisha had gotten into. Wafer testified that he wasn't going to cower in his own home and that he believed that he was in danger. But during their closing arguments, the prosecutors said what everyone in Ranisha's family had been thinking, and that was that Wafer should have called 911 instead of opening his door and shooting an unarmed woman through the screen door. Wafer never even stepped onto his porch. The shell casing from the bullet was found inside the door of his home. If Wafer had called the police that night, Renisha would likely still be alive. Prosecutors told the jury that Renisha was likely looking for help and may have even knocked on other doors before fate put her on the doorstep of Theodore Wafer. Whether Renisha was drunk or not, the accident that she had caused resulted in minor property damage. That night should have been a wake-up call for a young woman testing the limits and making mistakes. It should not have ended up with her shot dead while looking for help. In August 2014, Theodore Wafer was found guilty. The jury did not buy his self-defense claim, and he was found guilty of both second-degree murder and manslaughter. He was facing a 15- to 30-year sentence in prison. Now, the conviction was bittersweet for Renisha's family. Yes, her killer had been convicted, but Renisha's young life was stolen from her in a very brutal way. And she had spent her last moments wandering in a strange neighborhood, hurt, alone, and disoriented. And when she finally got to a home where someone answered the door, she was shot in the face. There really is no justice for that. On September 3rd, 2014, Wafer's sentencing hearing was held. Renisha's family had not spoken out publicly very much about Renisha's trial, but her father made a statement at that sentencing. This man has ruined our family life. It's, um, it's not a day to go by that I don't think about my daughter. Um, i never had the opportunity to see her grow up, be a woman, have kids. Just, I just hope you really give him the maximum sentence that's possible. Wafer also made a statement at his sentencing hearing. I caused the loss of a life too young to leave this world, and for that I'll carry that guilt in sorrow forever. I only wish that I could take this horrible tragedy back. It's a work in your honor and mercy. The judge was sympathetic to Wafer, but ended up sentencing him to 17 to 32 years. He also received a 15 to 30-year sentence for the manslaughter charge, and he has to serve a minimum of 17 years. After George Zimmerman was acquitted of Trayvon's murder, people believed that this trial would end up the same. I mean, it was a small victory for those who believe that white offenders are given a pass when their victims are Black or Brown. But the victory didn't feel like a victory for most because in the time span of the trial of Theodore Wafer, police in New York City choked Eric Gardner to death in July 2014, and then police in Ohio shot John Crawford on August 5th, 2014, while he was holding a toy gun in a Walmart aisle. And then four days later, in Ferguson, Missouri, a police officer shot an unarmed teenager named Michael Brown. A month after Wafer's sentencing, Chicago Police Department shot and killed 17-year-old Laquan McDonald 16 times. And then a month after that, the Cleveland Police Department killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice in a park while he was holding a toy gun. Between July 2014 and November 2014, America had watched one unarmed Black person after the other be killed by the police. And so, even though Renisha's killer was not a cop, Like the victims of police violence, Benicia's killer perceived her as a threat. 19 and standing all of five foot four inches tall, a 54-year-old man with a shotgun thought she had the ability to cause him so much harm with her bare hands that he had no other choice but to shoot her in the face. But that's what it's like for many black and brown people in America. Not just men, women too. Not just adults, children, too. The same perception that causes people to dismiss Black and brown victims of color is tied to the same emotion that makes them perceive Black and brown people as threatening and aggressive. And that emotion is fueled by racism. Time and time again, America has had to reconcile with its racist past and present. It's had to confront the systemic racism that finds Black and brown victims and perpetrators on a different side of the criminal justice system than their white counterparts. Now, prosecutors in Renisha's murder trial declined to introduce race as a factor in her murder. The defense, of course, completely denied that race was a factor in what happened. There are many that believe that race most definitely played a part in Renisha's murder. And I believe it definitely played a part in how the police initially responded to her murder. Renisha was only 19 years old. She had no obligation to be perfect and not make mistakes. That's what teenagers do. They learn and they grow and sometimes they do stupid things. But they are not supposed to be lessons that end with their unprovoked murder. Who she was and what she did before she was murdered doesn't matter. And I think it's sad that so many media outlets felt it necessary to keep repeating the results of the toxicology report as if it had anything to do with her being shot. Theodore Wafer is currently serving out his sentence in a Michigan State Prison. But in the fall of 2021, the Michigan Supreme Court agreed to look at Wafer's case. His attorneys are arguing that Wafer's manslaughter conviction should be thrown out, which would reduce his sentence. It's not clear if they have reached a decision about that yet. Now, Renisha's family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Wafer in 2014 for $10 million, and the case was settled for an undisclosed amount in 2015. Renisha's murder that night was unnecessary. Theodore Wafer did not have to kill Renisha that night. He could have stayed in his home. He could have called 911. But instead, he took a shotgun and he killed her. Renisha's death will forever be linked to the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. And even with a conviction, her story is often used as an example of how broken our criminal justice system can be. And for that, her death, unnecessary as it was, will not be in vain. May Renisha McBride rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We will be back next week with a brand new story. Join us on Patreon for exclusive mini episodes and ad free episodes. As always, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Black Girl Gone Podcast. Listening on Apple Podcasts? Show your support for the show by leaving a review and a five-star rating.